Good evening, everyone. Turn to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. It's good to see you here. Missing a few tonight. Glad that you're here. And uh, trust the Lord will help us as we pray tonight. I, for those of you that uh, are aware of the, I guess you just call it plumbing trouble that uh, John was having at the place where they're meeting, the, something to do with the pipes messed up the restroom, put it out of service in the library, meaning that they had to get a key for another part of the library to try and allow their people to get to a restroom, which is a little bit inconvenient if you've children and so on, but uh, they were anticipating having to wait until the thaw. So those of you who are familiar with living farther north, you know that the ground gets so hard that some things just have to wait until April or May (laughs) before you can get to them. But the Lord is mercifully, he didn't give details, but they've, they've managed to get it fixed, whatever it was. So that has been resolved, and John is very happy about that. I was talking with him yesterday, and we are praying about it, so thankful that it's been resolved. So, good, good news. All right, Deuteronomy 12. I'm going to give a few matters for prayer for our missionaries as well, just before we begin. But before all, all of that, let's pray and seek the Lord. Our God, we come before Thee again today in Jesus' name. And we thank Thee for our entrance into Thy presence. And we thank Thee for the... Uh, knowledge we have that thou art a prayer hearing and answering God, even in sometimes little matters where we are inconvenienced. We are able to bring these things to thy throne and pray because the very hairs of our head are numbered. Our Father has a concern and care for every aspect of his people and their lives. And while at times we are inconvenienced for purposes outside of our control that we have to accept and just believe that the Lord is doing this for a reason, yet at the same time we're thankful that many times you're pleased to test our faith and we can pray about these matters and see answers to our prayer. So thank you, Lord, for answering prayer for the Kellys and for the work there in the library, and we pray you'll continue your blessing upon that work also. We ask, Lord, you'll You will help those that we endeavor to support and stand beside all of our ministers, all of our missionaries, all of those that we support, and all of those we want to see advance. Thank the Lord even for developments with our brother Bishop as well, and answer prayer there. We ask that you'll prosper him as he comes to mind at this moment, and as we come to pray later for other matters, we ask that you'll, you'll be with us, you'll hear us and you'll condescend to us. We, we need revival. We acknowledge it, Lord. We need a breath of God. We need for thee, Lord, to come to your people, to your church. She is in need in this part of the world of reformation and revival. And only the Word of God can reform. Otherwise, what are we reforming ourselves according to? We need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to the Word of God and endeavor to bring all things that they might be in accordance with thy word, and every thought would be captive to the obedience of Christ. 
So cleanse us tonight. I pray for every child of God. Thank you for each one here. I pray that you'll encourage them to seek your face tonight and to know your presence tonight, and you'll give that word in season. And even as we look forward to the weekend and we think of the Lord's table, may our hearts be prepared for that also. We need to not merely go through the motions of the Lord's table, but to meet with the Lord of the table and to hear from Him. So, therefore, cleanse us and be with us and encourage us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just before I read the Scripture, just a number of things. The, the months go, or the weeks go past very quickly, so uh, these details can get out of date very quickly. So a few matters. If I could just encourage uh, some of you to take these into your mind, maybe just take one and perhaps pray over it, whether audibly or inaudibly later, just encourage you to make a mental note. Um, just regarding the, the Dominican Republic, as I, I mentioned, I'm, I'm now part of the interim session of Mexico and uh, Dominican Republic as well. But the, the challenge, of course, with the DR is that Ramon doesn't speak English very fluently. Now, I think he does okay, but he understands everything. It's just the, the, his conversational English isn't strong. So uh, we were trying, Jason was trying to get, apparently Zoom has a, 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 a functionality of apparently translating and putting subtitles. Jason was trying, it wasn't working, <laughs> whatever, whatever that's meant to do wasn't working. It would be great if that was the case because uh, then we could follow at least some idea of what Ramon is saying. But at present, we're just relying on Jason having to translate as we go through. So that extends the meeting, and uh, you're hoping that you're getting it accurately. I have no doubt that we are, but um, it's just challenging. So uh, do pray. Pray for the DR. Pray for Ramon and his work there, um, that the Lord will help. So just a few matters to point out concerning Paco and Julia. Uh, if you read the missionary bulletin, again, I just encourage you to make use of this. Uh, the, the, the updates help us understand what's going on on the ground. So uh, they're encouraged with recent visitors. Um, the Lord is using the internet ministry to help bring awareness to their presence. Seven people are asking for baptism, so that's encouraging. And they need a lot of instruction to be ready. And so pray for that blessing, but specifically this, he asked for pray for the salvation of the children who attend the Saturday Bible Club. So that's been mentioned before. Julia has mentioned that to some of us. Uh, Paco mentioned it when he was here uh, the last time, and he just mentions the fact that many of them are still attending the Roman Catholic doctrine class on Saturday mornings. So they're going to the Roman Catholic Church, hearing one thing, and then they're coming to the the ministry of of the church there as well, and hearing something else. So. Pray the Lord will disconnect the children and the families away from Rome and into the gospel. There's a few names that you may not be that familiar with. They have been mentioned, and occasionally Jason will reference them. Men in Mexico. These are, so if you can imagine, like Lalo and uh, Ramon, you know, found out about Jason, looked for help and guidance and began to interact and then wanted to come be more familiar with our own denomination and then eventually, of course, are now part of the denomination. There are other men like that. They're on the fringes. They're in contact with Jason regularly 
and he's trying to help them, and some of them are not very well trained, so they, they need some help there. So Wenceslao, Pepe, and Jair are three men that he is trying to help, and uh, he asks for prayer for them because they're pastoring churches already. They need instruction and training, and uh, they need prayer. So Wenceslao, Pepe, Jair, you can remember them if you, uh, if you can. And then there's been contact from other parts of Mexico, there's other interest, Argentina, and Colombia. So pray that the Lord's hand would be upon the boils as they navigate some of these challenges of reaching these people, seeking to help them and determine whether they are sincere. Concerning Lalo and the work on uh, Cordoba, uh, he mentions here a matter for prayer. For a, a, There's an interest in Puebla, so he's just asking for prayer for that interest. And reading what he says here, that the Lord would give him opportunity to visit that place, those, whatever group of believers are there, the interest in Puebla, that the Lord would lead Lalo and help him to see if there's a possibility of establishing a new work in that part of Mexico. He also mentions here, and I, I was sort of laughing to myself reading over this again, uh, <laughs> uh, their church is making plans to remodel, so it seems like they've got an extended lease, so they can do some work and know that they'll be there for some time. They don't own the property, but they, they've acquired a, a lengthy lease that will help them do some work and know that it won't go to waste. He says that since it does not have walls around the area where they meet, I thought, yeah, you know, we have a little little hole in our roof and they have no walls, so uh, we don't know we're living sometimes. Anyway, uh, they're hoping to do some work. Pray that God would provide as they are able. And then, yes, Uganda. Uh, I'm going to show a video at some point in the next few, couple of weeks or so on our brother Kerskadden, who hopes to go out there probably in June, he's thinking. But uh, in the meantime, Noreen McAfee, who's there, she makes mention of those that are going out helping. Uh, the Reverend Morris Baxter's out there helping for this March and April, which is encouraging. He's a retired minister. And uh, he's just asking prayer for the Kerskadden family as they prepare for their first term on the field there. But she mentions also a piece of land adjacent to the school that they would like to purchase for future development. So the school's full already. It doesn't surprise me at all. Like, Nor- you don't know Noreen. Noreen's uh, she's a gem. She's just one of those very gifted but very low-key people and goes about her business and the Lord blesses what she does. I mean, the the uh, work in Kenya, the advancement of that school and the hundreds of children that eventually were coming there and being taught there. It was real, large part Noreen's work and her uh, testimony in the area. Well, the same is happening in Uganda. The little work there is just multiplying and kids and their parents want to go there, to be sent there. And so they, they're, they're growing and there's many needs. It's part of the reason why they're sending out more men uh, some of them, so there's a young man out there, uh, Foster, uh, who is really just the hands-on guy. He does some teaching, but he's, he's, they need someone to help. Because th- if you can imagine just a compound where they have to uh, you know, they have their own water supply, 
and they're growing their own crops and so on, and they're trying to be self-sufficient and feeding all these children and so on. There's, there's a lot of work involved, and so they need some manpower. But uh, if they could get this other land, I'm, I'm assuming they have plans if they could. But the problem is, <laughs> she says, unfortunately, there's a family dispute over who should benefit from the sale. <laughs> so there's uh, those who own it are arguing over who has the right to it. And uh, she's praying that it would be resolved. So these are just some of the complexities that you face uh, at any time, but becomes more common sometimes in developing parts of the world. And then just two other matters. The work in Nepal. Joy Gillespie is praying that the Lord would bring an experienced teacher who would be able to run the institute. So her hands are full. She's too busy, really. As it is, they need an experienced teacher in Nepal. Now, I don't know if she's thinking missionary teacher or someone who's Nepalese. I'm not sure exactly of details about that. But just pray that God would bring in help to the work in Kathmandu. And finally, I was encouraged to hear that the radio ministry in Australia is stretching to the Philippines. Not just New South Wales, but into the Philippines as well. So that's news to me. I'm not sure I was aware of that. If I was, I've forgotten. But uh, pray, pray for the radio ministry in the Philippines that is going out from the works in Australia. So, just some updates. It's constant work, constant needs. Just, you know, I was reading over the, uh, the passage where uh, Isaac has, there's famine and uh, he goes to Gerar and the Lord blesses and he's blessed a hundredfold but at the same time he's being blessed he's also facing all these challenges the philistines keep filling in the wells they keep driving him away he moves into a new location they're filling in wells <laughs> it's just that like he can't get a break so even though he's being blessed he's blessed in the midst of conflict blessing in the midst of conflict and that's the church isn't it it's really what the church experiences blessing in the midst of conflict and that's what we read in the book of acts as well They're going forward, the Lord is blessing, helping, but there's just constant conflict and the enemy doesn't let up. So, anyway, if you can keep those in mind before we come to pray. So very briefly, Deuteronomy 12, just look at Deuteronomy 12. We have the Lord's table before us. I do try to remember that and make our prayer meeting uh, coincide with looking forward to the Lord's table. So we'll read the opening seven verses of Deuteronomy 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes, to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings, and your sacrifices, and your tithes, and heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your freewill offerings, and the firstlings of your herds, and of your flocks. And there... Ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto. 
ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Amen. And may God enrich your hearts by his word. I want to focus on verse 7. I'll be pulling in the rest of the passage, but just what it says in verse 7, There ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that you put your hand onto before the Lord. That's what we're doing when we come into the house of God, isn't it? I mean, there's a sense in which everything we do is in the presence of God. That's true. God's everywhere. And whether bidden or not, He is present. But at the same time, when we, there is a sense in which we come into the presence of God. When we gather for worship, corporate worship, there is a, an assembly into the presence of God in a very specific way. And we should, never, we should never take away from that. You know, sometimes we can sort of cause there to be a, a mushing together of things and we lose distinctness in what's actually happening. And it's like imagining every, every time someone washes as a baptism. No. No, not every washing is a baptism. There's something distinct about baptism, even though in some ways it might look like some kind of a washing. And when we come into the presence of God, you know, while we're always in the presence of God, when we gather together, there is a coming before the Lord. A real coming before the Lord. So that's what we do. And when we come to the Lord's table, even more so, as in we should be very cognizant of the fact that this is what we're doing. We are in the very presence of the Lord. So, a few things. First, to come before the Lord, you must protect your heart from things He hates. To come before the Lord, you must protect your heart from things He hates. Before we get to verse 7, there are certain uh, parameters that the Lord lays out. Uh, restrictions, if you like, that He gives. And He is instructing His people, verse 2 and 3, that they will destroy all the places wherein the nations that ye shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains, upon the hills, under every green tree. Whatever you see that's false, and you go in there, and I'm going to give you the land, and you're going to take them and destroy them. But once you have pushed them out, once you have obtained victory over them, you're going to find all the remnants, all the whatever's been left over of their places of worship. And there may be a temptation to utilize it, to make some use of it. You know, Sometimes we, we, you know, you see th- things may be ancient or we might be amazed at the beauty of something. And it th- th- would have been just as likely there where maybe there's carvings or some other imagery or something. You think it's so ornate. The craftsmanship is so high class. And you're thinking, we, we can't destroy this. We can't. We should leave this. We should protect this. This is, I've never seen work like this done. And you could see how we would be drawn to value some of the things that we might see. But God is in no uncertain terms saying, no, destroy it. Destroy it. Get rid of it all. Utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations that ye shall possess serve their gods. Verse 3, ye shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire. Ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. Get rid of everything. You have to get rid of, if before you come before the Lord, you must protect your heart from the things He hates. So He is establishing how they're going to come into His presence. He's, he's laying before them that they're going to come before Him. But before they do so, they need to destroy everything that might be a temptation, 
might capture their affections, might get in the way of their worship of God. So you have to be vigilant to know and remove the things God hates. Now, that sounds like a very negative message, and we're, we're, sometimes we're like, well, just, just tell me the positive things, but sometimes you can't appreciate the positive until you embrace the negative. We, we, I mean, this marriage is like that, isn't it? I mean, you can't, the, the positive is you love someone. The restriction is you don't get to love anyone else like that. And you can't actually express the love unless you embrace the restriction. And so it is with worship. So it is with all sorts of areas of the worship of God and our life before God. 1 Corinthians 10, in relation to the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink, drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now, of course, that has a context there, but just taking it in terms of its application, there are things you can't have or accept or permit if you're going to come before the Lord. can't. Now, take it generally. Take it generally in your own mind and heart. You're going to come before the Lord. I'm going to come before the Lord this Lord's day. And ask yourself then, what might the Lord want me to destroy before I come before Him? What might He want me to get rid of? Paul writes later to the same church, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, when he says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You need to remove what God hates before he receives. You need to cut it out. So, so there's a, we, begin, we begin with the negative. We begin with that. We begin with acknowledging, I'm going to come and sit at the Lord's table. That requires a degree of repentance. And not just in the moment, certainly in the moment, but even leading up to it. Not coming carelessly. Not coming so, so presumptively, thinking that, well, I can just walk into His presence, come before the Lord like, we have a right, and you do have a right. But there are certain things that he restricts, things that he says, if you don't get rid of this, it's a problem. So we have to protect our heart from the things that he hates. We have to know it. We have to read the words that God hates this. I need, I need rid of it. It needs, needs to be gone. So think about it for yourself. Also, to come before the Lord... You must treasure in your heart the things He loves. If you're going to come before Him, you must treasure in your heart the things He loves. Verse 4, You shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose. Out of all your tribes to put His name there, even unto His habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither you shall bring your burnt offerings, and your sacrifices, and your tithes, and heave offerings of your hand, 
and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. The things that they, they were to destroy in verses 2 and 3 had been invented in the mind of men, just conjured up by men. None, none, none of these people, these Canaanites, none of them had ascended into the hill like Moses and had heard from God directly and said, here's the pattern that you're to worship me by. They just invented it. Invented worship. And of course it gets morphed and changed and evolves over time from generation to generation, but it was all invented. And so... Verse 4, ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God. You're not going to do that. You're not going to invent the place where you worship. You're just going to say, well, we're going to set that place aside. We're going to worship there. You're not going to do that. Nor are you going to invent the practices that you perform there. I'm going to give you what you should do. So God establishes first the place for them. Verse 5, Unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. I'm going to give you a place. By establishing one place, it is in one sense looking forward to the fact that, well, it's establishing there and then, as well as pointing forward to this central truth that is always true, the exclusivity of the way of salvation. You don't get to come to God your own way. I mean, imagine these Canaanites. I like that grove there on the south side. Or I enjoy this one because the view's better. Or I prefer that because the groves are older and those trees, they make me feel calm and so on and so forth. I mean, you can imagine they all get to pick their preferred places. And so is every man doing that which is right in his own eyes? God says to his people, no. No, there's one place. One place. And you're all going to come there. You're all going to gather there. That one place. Because there's one God, one way of salvation. And one way of approach. So it's underlining what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he establishes the place for them. And he also establishes the practices for them. Verse 6. Thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and the heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. There. It's kind of summarizing everything. Whatever you do, whatever I have prescribed, you, you will do it there. This, you'll practice it this way, that place. Now you read that and you say, well, what relevance has that got to us? Well, of course, you read through that and there's one or two things are true. Either everything has been fulfilled by Christ or it is to be offered to Christ today. So when you make a vow, who are you making a vow onto? It's in the presence of Christ and you think about him, you're, 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 you're making vows in the presence of Christ. Or you're, you're coming with your offerings and your gifts. Who are you giving them to? Christ. Now, I was reading over 
Calvin's Institutes and gets to the section where he's dealing with uh, the Trinity and the deity of Christ. And I was, I was struck by something. I, it just it hit me. You know, sometimes you read something, it's like, boom. <laughs> where he's arguing for the deity of Christ and laying that out. And he uses a passage about how Paul summarizes his whole message is, we preach Christ. And it hit me in a way I'd never thought. Yes, I mean, here, here's someone who serves God. If his whole message is summarized by the preaching of Christ, how could Christ not be God? It's impossible. It has to be. If that's how you summarize your message, preaching of Christ, he has to be God. Otherwise, you're given honor where it ought not to be given. You're preaching a name when there's a higher name that exists. That's not the case. Anyway, the point is, we come by the merit of Christ and we offer what we have to bring to Christ. The practices have been established for us as well. And then finally, to come before the Lord prepares you to do what God has called you to do. Come before the Lord prepares you to do as God has called you to do. Verse 7. There you shall eat before the Lord your God. Okay, so you're, you're gathering. You know, there were peace offerings and so on. Everything, you come together and you, you eat there. You invite others there. You, you bring the, invite the, the Levites to, to join with you in, in your meal and, and rejoice in what the Lord has done for you. And so you eat there before the Lord. And what does it say? And ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Now, of course, there's a couple of ways of taking this. Ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand onto. Is it relating your hand to the various aspects of the sacrifices? Or is it understanding it as you come and you worship the Lord, you come before the Lord, and because what you're bringing is the product of your hand, the Lord has blessed your hand so that you can bring the firstlings of the flock. So you can bring whatever it is you're sacrificing on them. So you can bring your tithes, whatever. I mean, you don't have anything to bring to the place of worship unless the Lord's blessed the work of your hands. You need that blessing. And so you have this wonderful scene in which they're rejoicing in how God has blessed their hands and And while they do that, they're going to go out and enjoy more of that blessing so that in turn they can come and give more to the Lord. And so you have this this cycle of worship and work, worship and work, worship and work, and you do it all before the Lord. And you have your occasion. You have your occasions where you sit down and you worship the Lord together. This is our Lord's day. In a peculiar fashion, the Lord's day. And what do we do? We sit down and we... We magnify the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and rest in the sufficiency of what He has done for us as sinners. But we rejoice in that. We rejoice. And you should come this Lord's Day and rejoice because the way has been opened for you. There is a knowledge that I have acceptance before the living God. 
and I've multiplied my sins since last I sat at this table, and yet through the blood of the Lamb there is cleansing and there is forgiveness. So you, you rejoice in that, not, not by holding on to the things that grieve him. No, no, kill those things. Utterly destroy them, to use the language of verse 2. Utterly destroy them. Get rid of them. Cut them down. <laughs> Get them out of your life. But rejoice. Rejoice in what Christ has done. Before the Lord, ye shall, there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand onto, ye and your households. So the whole family should rejoice. The Lord's day and the Lord's table is a time for the whole family to rejoice. For everyone to come together and rejoice and to talk about it. Parents to, to talk to the children. Look at what the Lord has done. To look at, talk to the little ones about the day in which they will, they will be able to participate in the Lord's table if they believe. Oh, don't miss the opportunity to talk to the little ones about the way of salvation when you're taking the bread and the cup. And they're not. And you can make them anticipate that day when they will have a right to because they have professed faith and they're walking in clear, evident, consistent life in accordance with the profession. And say, you can take it too. It's yours. One day it'll be yours. Because the Lord has blessed us, hasn't he? When the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. He's blessed thee. Oh, he's blessed thee. Come this Lord's day and say, I'm blessed. <laughs> I am blessed. We are blessed people. You're blessed. You are. I am blessed. Be careful and be careful with our murmurings. Be careful with our, if, if someone was to be within earshot of our prayer, someone who didn't know, someone who wondered, what do these people believe? Who do they worship and how? Let me listen to what they say to their God. Would it all be complaints or would there be lots of gratitude? Because we're blessed. I hope they would see that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, may the Lord help us. We're going to sing. And then we'll pray.